Okay, Phil, I have a question for you. Go. What do you think it would mean if I told you the tomato soup is overcooked? Hmm. You know, I, I think that's a common mistake that a lot of people do. I think we are often impatient, so we put the heat too high. So it would be doing something about patience and maybe, you know, keeping your expectations at a lower level. That's a good guess, <laughs> but actually it's a euphemism for having your period. Oh, well, I heard there's about like 500 different slang terms or euphemisms for periods and menstruation. Do you have any more? Mm -hmm. There are some pretty funny ones that I found on the good old internet. Uh, one of my favorite ones is there are communists in the funhouse. <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's something to do with uh, the red communist oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> flag or like, <laughs> the fact that they're usually red is symbolic of communism. I don't know. <laughs> but, symbolizes blood somehow. <laughs> um, let's see, some other ones are Jenny has a red dress on, the cranberry woman is coming, and one of the more vague ones, which is Granny's stuck in traffic. Can't really know how that's a period euphemism. Because I'm sure we want to think about our grandmothers when we're having a period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah, I just I don't get that one at all either. <laughs> Stay tuned for uh, later in this episode where we'll reveal some other period euphemisms and where they come from. Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Phil. And this is the Red Dot Podcast. This podcast is about menstruation, homelessness, gender equality, the social service field in Toronto, politics, anything else about the GTA, and anything you want it to be. Give us your input and we will gladly put it on the podcast. But in this episode, we are talking about the history of pads. So Haley, we did in a previous podcast an episode about menstrual cups and tampons. Mm-hmm. So today, we are going to talk about, obviously, something else that has to do with menstruation and managing it, pads. Mm -hmm. The pad is one of the oldest forms of managing menstruation and is still the most commonly used one today. Pads have been used by women for centuries, even though it wasn't what we uh, imagine as a typical pad now. The most commonly used form of pad in olden times was a rag, which is how uh, another period euphemism came about, which is on the rag, and that was because women used to use a rag to absorb their menstrual flow. The use of a menstrual rag was first mentioned in ancient Greece, where Hypatia, who was a philosopher, a mathematician, a teacher, and, and an inventor, in Alexandria, Egypt, uh, threw one of her used menstrual rags at an admirer to get rid of him. And this was in approximately the 4th century. <laughs> so they've been around. Yeah. And you can use them to get rid of that persistent guy who uh, is a little bit creepy and just won't leave you alone. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, because you never know. He might be into that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> so... 
Yeah, pads were made out of rags. Pads were also made out of cotton or sheep's wool. Um, some women knitted pads, and uh, they were also made out of rabbit fur or sometimes grass, basically whatever was available. Disposable pads were first used to stop bleeding for injured soldiers in war, and uh, these were made from wood pulp and bandages. And uh, this invention was uh, something that French nurses started using for their periods when they were in the field and uh, they realized how effective it was and uh, it was also pretty cheap. So then uh, they became, these pads became available in 1888 and they were known as Southball pads. Later in 1896, the first disposable menstrual pads uh, were made by Johnson & Johnson were uh, released and these were called Lister's Sanitary Towels for Ladies. Very descriptive name. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't leave much to the imagination about what it is. Um, however, these were pretty expensive so many women couldn't afford them and continued to use more traditional methods of managing their periods. Um, they also had these boxes in the store where uh, women could just deposit the money and take a box of the, the pads so they wouldn't have to talk to anyone and risk the embarrassment of everyone knowing they were uh, on their period or about to get their period. I wonder if they uh, put them in like paper bags too, like they did with the gentlemen's magazines in mm -hmm. the day. Where yeah, I'm so. pretty sure they did. I think they like wrapped them up and made it so that you couldn't tell that it was a box of pads. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are wondering or thinking that the uh, name Lister sounds familiar, it's because. Uh, these pads were invented by Joseph Lister, who also invented Listerine. <laughs> what do you call somebody who puts their name on everything? <laughs> what is it? Just like... Narcissist? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know the man, so I can't mm. say, but I don't know. He seems to have his name on a lot of things. Yeah, he really wants you to know that... Uh, he invented the first disposable pad. <laughs> <laughs> he also keeps your mouth fresh. Yeah. So early disposable pads, such as uh, the Lister's sanitary towels, were uh, often made of cotton wool covered with an absorbent liner, and they usually had belts or girdles to hold them up. Uh, the most famous example of this is in the book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, where uh, Margaret gets her period for the first time and uses a... A sanitary pad belt which is pink however in a newer edition which isn't actually that new since it came out in 1998 <laughs> uh, the author Judy Bloom uh, took out the belt and replaced the pad with a regular uh, adhesive pad and a lot of people were actually upset about this because they grew up with uh, Margaret and the reference to the belted pad and uh, yeah, now it's just a thing of the past. Margaret has entered the modern era. I don't even know what it even looks like. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do we have any reference in any movies or anything of someone using a belted pad? I don't know. Yeah, we'd have to check that out. I wonder if you could even buy one. I don't think so. Next time I'm a shopper's drug mart, I'm going to yeah. ask for a belted <laughs> pad. <laughs> 
So uh, these belts were not very effective and that's why uh, they were kind of abandoned. They would kind of uh, cause the pad to slide around and not really stay in place, which isn't what you want. The adhesive strip and the wings were added in uh, the late 60s and uh, Stay Free actually invented the first beltless pad and that came out in 1969. So new materials and new design and, uh, and all that have made pads thinner and a lot more comfortable and less bulky and uh, more practical to wear and more absorbent as well. And also, however, in developing countries, pads are still very uh, overpriced and difficult to access. So when disposable pads were first invented and kind of coming onto the market, there was a lot of emphasis in advertisements around discretion and kind of like secrecy, you know, not knowing that it was a box of pads and it had to be wrapped up and women wouldn't want to have to talk to anyone and ask for them because it was too embarrassing. So yeah, most of, of the ads really focused on how to be discreet about your period and buying menstrual products and about hygiene as well. However, in the 70s and 80s, we saw a lot more advertising for pads and a lot less uh, worry, I guess, about how discreet the advertising was. It was pretty obvious that they were advertising a menstrual product. And in the 1980s when Always, which is uh, probably the menstrual product brand that most people know, Always was formed. They were the first company to actually use a red dot to symbolize blood in an ad for pad. So uh, other companies were famous for using, you know, like the blue liquid that just sort of <laughs> magically appeared you, you and then pour out of a yeah, test tube beaker, yeah, <laughs> was absorbed by the pad and no mess was left behind and it kind of like I don't even know what you would call it solidified into this weird gel <laughs> but yeah so always was uh, the first company to use just a red dot to symbolize blood and it was pretty clear you know what what this product was for. That was actually a while back and and now I think we're still changing the way that menstrual products are advertised, presented, and sold, but I mean, that was pretty revolutionary for its time and, and now you know, we're just sort of starting to get away from uh, the blue liquid <laughs> still and, and get more realistic uh, portrayals of what it's like uh, as a woman or as uh, anyone who, who has a period and the kind of things that you have to deal with and the products that you use and the realities of, of all that. So Yeah, so I think like my favorite ad that has to do with menstruation or menstruation products is one from HelloFlow, Hello F-L-O, and it has a young girl that is at summer camp mm-hmm. and she becomes a camp gyno and uh, she just like runs because she's the first one that got her period. So she's the first one who runs like the whole tampon and pad like syndicate, I guess, uh, (laughs) distribution. And she like tells the other girls like, you know, how to deal with it and what to do and stuff like that. It's just pretty funny. So if you Google that on Google (laughs) or Mm -hmm. you look it up on YouTube, you'll find it. 
and hello flow has another great one about the moon yeah the first moon party yeah Yeah. (laughs) so both of them are great uh commercials and hello flow is a is a company that creates like i guess monthly kits for young girls who are getting their period and it's just like a survival kit Mm -hmm. of like treats and tampons or pads and things like that for them to deal with their period So Haley, over the last year or so of us doing Red Dot Project and now Red Dot Project, I think we have gathered quite a bit of information on things like menstruation, homelessness, and a lot of other topics like stigmas of menstruation and things like that. I would say so. Another big aspect of what we try to do with Red Dot Project is we want to go out and educate people on these issues. What do you think about that? And I think that would be great. And if you think that's great, then you should contact us at info at red.projecttoronto.org. And you could inquire about getting us out to where you are, whether it's a school, a community group, or a place of work. And we could talk more about what we do and some of the issues and some of the situations people are dealing with right now in our city. I'll work on my public speaking skills. <laughs> So contact us at info at red.projecttoronto.org and we will get back to you ASAP. Women in developing countries still have to rely on things like rags, wool, grass, fur, and other type of materials to absorb their menstrual flow when what we're used to over here the disposable pads and they're not available to them so still in parts of the world we still see that young girls and women miss school or work due to menstruation especially when they can't afford supplies so in sub-saharan africa we still see about one in ten girls missing school and in south asia it's up to one third of girls other reasons we still see women and young girls missing school are because of cultural taboos and how they interpret the period. So we still have stigmas in some parts of the world, like periods make women impure. We have things like women are not allowed to cook because touching the food on their period would make the food impure or rotten. In Western Nepal, sometimes women are forced to live in huts outside of their homes or outside of the village. It was banned in 2005, but still a practice that does happen in certain parts of Nepal. So in Sri Lanka, we still have two-thirds of girls not knowing what menstruation is until they actually get their period. And then, well, surprise, you gotta learn. So without the knowledge of menstruation, especially within women alone, it's really hard for us to develop these rules and laws in place in certain parts of the world where women are treated equally even though they're on the period. And that's why things like education to men and understanding what a period is and how these stigmas are damaging to the women in the country is very important because a lot of these countries, men are still the ones who are making the rules and making the laws. So without them really understanding it, these stigmas and the effects of the stigmas are going to continue. Some other issues that are occurring in developing countries are without clean products, clean running water in the washrooms, or even enough privacy in the washrooms to manage your period. 
a lot of women are at higher risks of infections because of those things. So Phil, you mentioned uh, how education for men on menstruation was important in changing uh, cultural taboos or perceptions around menstruation and, and making managing it easier for women in developing countries. Uh, one of the best examples of how educating men can change uh, the accessibility of menstrual products actually has occurred in India, where a man named Arunachalam Muruganantham, or also known as the Pad Man, has uh, developed a machine to make low-cost sanitary pads for women and girls in India. These pads that he makes with this machine only cost about a fifth of brand name pads and only take two minutes to make. So uh, through this machine, he has uh, partnered up with a lot of women's collectives in India who have uh, purchased one of these machines and started making pads and selling them. And he has been able to distribute pads to a lot more women and girls in India who otherwise would not have had access to them. If that name sounds familiar, you may have noticed there was a movie that was released in early 2018 at select theaters across the GTA. I've seen them, especially over in the Mississauga area. I've seen them playing there called Padman about this gentleman and his quest to revolutionize the manufacturing process of sanitary napkins in India. So the Padman, uh, actually, he came up with this idea when he saw his wife using a dirty rag to uh, absorb her menstrual flow, and he started testing out different types of pads to see what would be a good solution for her. However, many women were too shy or embarrassed about menstruation to provide genuine feedback, so he attempted to test them himself using goat's blood. And he also uh, started the campaign where he collected used uh, pads from college students and started kind of like tearing them up and looking at what they were made of inside to figure out how to make them himself. And uh, his family kind of thought he was a bit nuts and his wife was like, hey, I'm going to leave for a while <laughs> and let you do your thing. Then uh, she came back to him. So <laughs> it all worked out in the end. So he has supplied his pad-making machines to over 200 districts in India, and uh, he promotes women's cooperatives and uh, sustainable employment and financial independence for women, and also um, education about menstruation, which is one of the crucial elements involved in this campaign of his. He also has people who will go door to door and sell the pads, but also will uh, teach girls and women about menstruation and menstrual hygiene. The good thing about this as well is that he doesn't actually profit from these machines or um, the sales of the pads. He doesn't advertise and he still provides all the raw materials that are needed for making the pads by importing the cellulose and the medical cloth. And uh, when he gets um, these machines to the women's cooperatives, he also teaches uh, the women you know, how to market the pads, how to price them, and how to sell them so they get an education on, uh, on business and that sort of thing as well. So it sounds like a really great operation, and it has made pads a lot more accessible to people that 
may not have been able to get them before. One machine can make up to 1,000 pads in a day, and that only takes four women to produce that much. So it's pretty good. And uh, he also expects the machines to be used in places like Kenya, Nigeria, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh. People in those countries may also get uh, more affordable pads soon, which is great. Through doing the research through Red Dot Project over the last year and just the learning more about menstruation and what are the different movements that are happening around the world, I feel like India really has a strong movement that they've been going through in the last year. So much as so, we actually get a lot of our Facebook followers from India. I think there's a similar named organization called Project Red Dot. And the only reason I found out about them is because we're getting all these likes from India. And when I googled um, our name and trying to find out who did they mistaken us for, there's this group that make these paper bags with the red dot on them. And they supply them to people where they can put their used sanitary products in there and then they could drop them off at a place where their products would be, I guess, disposed of appropriately. So it's more environmentally friendly for that community. Mm -hmm. India is uh, also at the forefront of environmental initiatives for disposing of menstrual waste because they have such a large population. It's estimated that menstrual waste from pads and other products is uh, about 113,000 tons per year. So they uh, are really at a bit of um, a challenging place to try and figure out how to dispose of these products in a way that isn't super harmful to the environment, especially given the fact that there are still a lot of cultural taboos and superstitions there around menstruation. So to try to uh, dispose of them in a way that won't upset people or, or kind of cause them any embarrassment or anything like that. And also that's uh, good for the environment. Mm-hmm. So in a previous episode, when we talked about menstrual cups, we obviously recognize that that's a little bit more of an environmentally friendly way to deal with menstruation in your periods because you don't really have that waste of that you get out of disposable tampons or disposable pads. Obviously, there are some cultures that, or just some people who just prefer not using products that you insert into the vagina. So what are some of the things that we have available to us that are more pad-type products that are more environmentally friendly? Yeah, I mean, you uh, definitely touched on a pretty big concern uh, that people have about disposable tampons and pads right now is that they're not great for the environment. It's estimated that one pad contains about four plastic bags worth of plastic. And when you're throwing that out in the garbage, you know, it's uh, taking a really long time to decompose and it's going to a landfill. Um, And we know that plastic kind of degrading in landfills is responsible for releasing a lot of greenhouse gas and stuff into the atmosphere that is causing climate change. So yeah, it's a pretty big problem because we use so many menstrual products in our lifetimes. Uh, The average uh, person who menstruates will use between 11,000 and 16,000 tampons or pads in their lifetime and uh, produce about 250 to 300 pounds of garbage that only consists of menstrual waste. So it's uh, a lot to process and there are alternatives that can 
kind of ease the burden of uh, menstrual waste on our environment. And so one of them you touched on already, the menstrual cup. Uh, another one is reusable pads. So there's a Canadian company called Luna Pads that makes these reusable pads. Basically, it's like shaped like a pad and you kind of, uh, it's like fabric or cloth and you uh, can snap it around your underwear and then you can wash it and reuse it. They also sell underwear that has a little like insert so you can put the pad in there and then uh, you can use those products together. There's a brand called NatraCare which makes uh, organic pads and tampons that are free of plastic and they are biodegradable but they still do take a long time to break down. A British company has also invented a reusable tampon applicator. So uh, the company is called Dame and they yeah, made this reusable applicator that you can just wash and, and use it if you feel like you prefer to use an applicator but you don't have to throw it out every time. So yeah, there are uh, more environmentally friendly alternatives to disposable pads and tampons out there for sure. There are some other, I guess, another option that I've seen through Instagram is they have like briefs that are just, mm -hmm. you, there's no pad or lining in it. It's just built into the actual brief itself mm -hmm. where you just basically free flow into it and then you just wash them and then reuse them. So at the beginning of the episode, we talked about some period euphemisms. There are a few others that we didn't get to. So one of them is, I'm flying the Japanese flag. And the other one is, the English have arrived. Okay, <laughs> where, where is that one from? Okay, so yeah, now at the moment you've all been waiting for, we can talk about where all of these uh, euphemisms come from. So the English have arrived is French euphemism for having your period, I guess, because of the uh, bloody warfare of the past between England and France. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm flying the Japanese flag is actually an English euphemism that... Not sure how that one came about, but I guess the, you can kind of put it two and two together with the imagery of the, the Japanese flag. Yeah, red dot. Yeah, <laughs> they stole our idea. <laughs> <laughs> On the record, we didn't get our idea from the Japanese flag or from tampon ads, yeah. but maybe one day we will uh, tell the story of that. Um, the tomato soup is overcooked is a euphemism from the Netherlands. Jenny has a red dress on is one from Latin America. Uh, the cranberry woman is coming is one from Germany. And granny's stuck in traffic is one from South Africa. Okay, so if there's anyone from South Africa that could explain yeah. that one to me, that's the one out of all of them I need Please to do. know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the origins of that one. And my favorite one, there are communists in the funhouse is one from Denmark. <laughs> And if you have um, a particularly long period, maybe uh, the communists would be moving into the funhouse, <laughs> setting up camp. They just never left. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you could hear the music playing now. So that wraps up another episode of Red Dot Project. Mm -hmm. And as always, uh, you can send us your favorite period euphemisms or period jokes at podcast at red.projectforonto.org. And if you really liked what you're listening to or you just want to help us out, then you could subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app.
app that you use, whether it's the Apple Podcast app or the Google Play Music app or Stitcher, or I think we're on a couple other ones too. You can get us on Podbean or anything else. Just search us up. We'll probably be there. So yeah, rate us five stars. Give us a comment. And until next week, have a great week. Thanks for listening.